Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. as the one rental at a time brand is growing is i love reaching out to new and new members who may become part of the one rental at a time family we've got one gentleman here from kern's capital justin how you doing buddy what's going on doing great thanks for having me on the show happy to chat hedge funds and all kinds of stuff in the investing world it's going to be a great time there you go. Well, I got to tell you, I have uh, of all my contributors, I have no hedge funds. I have a 10 year Wall Street veteran uh, who's now doing some ETF stuff, but I have no hedge funds. So, Justin, before we get started, introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, what you do, and then we can get into the first topic. All right. My name is Justin Freistadt. I'm a managing partner and also a president of sales at Kearns Capital. We're a hedge fund structure, 506C, which means we only work with accredited investors. And what's a little different about the hedge fund space is when you invest in a product like ours, you're actually a partner of the fund. You're not necessarily an investor, you're actually a partner. So that, that's what's a little bit different about typical investments versus going into the private placement space. Very cool. So I, don't th- I think a lot of people hear the word hedge fund. Um, they think they know what it means. Uh, I think most people are probably wrong. Since you're in the business, this is what you do. Why don't you define really what is a hedge fund? And then we can go from there. Yeah, the, the hedge fund is basically the the wild west of of the investing world. I mean, I don't know any other way to um, explain it. It's it's the the lo- most least regulated, um, gives you the most flexibility to go out and do um, real world deals. So um, that's why the 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 structure and the regulation on who can invest in these products is very tight. And we are we are very regulated in a different way as far as how we can raise capital, what we can talk about, things like that. But really, in concept, a hedge fund, there's tons of different types. Some of them are in real estate. Some of them are doing quant algorithmic trading like like us. Right. Um, so they really a hedge fund can invest in whatever it wants. And then it, it raises capital from limited partners to go in and uh, invest in these different products as an inside team. So what it's doing is um, it's bringing you closer to the the actual source of the investment, which makes much higher returns than if you're investing in a derivative out on the public market. Right. Uh, Is it one of the things, again, I think when when I think hedge funds is uh, they can and often do sometimes bullish, sometimes bearish, sometimes calls, puts. They're they're trading on very... um, they go lots of different directions and they can change their mind in a moment's notice. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. So in our fund, fund one is a trading strategy, which means anything within the realm of trading, we can change the strategy on a dime. We can reallocate how the funds are placed. And it's, it's a constant, constant thing every day to manage the funds, to make sure that we're positioning the partnership in the best possible uh, place to beat the benchmark and also protect the downside. So um, specifically in our strategy, we're, we're using algorithms to trade currencies and commodities. It's AI driven technology. Um, so it, what, what it has is a 1.3% max drawdown, but it has very high predictive capability. So 
Um, when it's doing high frequency trading and, and a trade's going against it, it knows how to abandon it quickly and it knows how to let it ride when when it hits uh, its target. So, I mean, if 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 you have that that bottom stopped out and then you have a target on the upside, you can you can get a very tightly managed return. And what's beautiful about it for our strategy makes me sleep well at night is knowing that all of the money is in cash every day. It goes into the algo, it trades for a very short period of time. We're talking three seconds to 90 second trades. Wow. And we execute that strategy for a couple hours every morning, then we're back in cash. So we're not exposed to geopolitical events overnight or any type of market fluctuations that are out of your control. Oh, that that is, yeah. You, you, trade when the windows open and go flat at the end of the day, you know, and, and come back the next day. I think is a genius move. Let's talk about this word you've used a couple of times. Cause again, I know what it means. Others may think they do, but not, you've talked about funds. You've talked about investors being partners. And then you've talked about funds. You probably have multiple funds. So not all partners are part of all funds. So, so talk about what a fund is uh, and then how an investor would be a part of that. Right. So for us, we're a 506C, which means we only raise money from accredited investors. So what that means is to be accredited, the SEC um, requires you to have a million dollar net worth, excluding your primary residence, or you can qualify as accredited by income. So if you have gross income of 200,000 in the previous two years, uh, then you're accredited. If uh, that's if you're single, if you're filing married, it needs to be 300,000. So that's the qualification. Um, if you don't meet those requirements, we're not allowed to take capital from you. And mm -hmm. that's just the SEC's way of trying to create a barrier of entry to say, like, if you're going to invest in these complex private placement products, you need to have a certain level of acumen, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what that is. But I mean, our structure of 506C, we're, we're a fund. Um, the way it works is if you wanted to invest, you would, you would complete what's called a PPM. Uh, private placement memorandum, which is, you know, gives you the whole subscription document, what you're investing in, what the risks are, and um, how the investment works. For us, uh, we have got a we got a one-year hold on the principal when you come in. You can take quarterly distributions if you'd like, right? So this is it's a flexible vehicle in the sense that at any time you could say, I want this just to compound and grow. And then let's say you want some cash flow for home purchase, car, whatever it is in your life each quarter you have the option to say, okay, I want to take some gains off the table. So uh, for me, it's, it's more flexible than let's say a real estate investment where I know the money is going to be locked up for five to 10 years and I don't have access to liquidity. Yeah. And again, a fund really is, you know, like, let's just say Kearns Capital. I'm not saying you have this, but let's pretend you have three different funds. They're all doing slightly different things. I could invest in one and not the other two. I would thus be at, you know, I would have at risk or profit from fund one and I would get nothing from the other two funds. Is that fair? Yeah. So for instance, our, our private equity funds, a completely different structure. It's based off of what the opportunity is. Like we're, we're in the middle of raising right now for um, a pre IPO opportunity We're uh, I don't, we haven't officially announced it. So I'm not going to say the name of the company, but essentially what's happening. This is really, really interesting. So within the, these raises of these monster companies, we're, we're talking about a company that does $6 billion in revenue, right? Um, you know, big, big investors like SoftBank has a billion in this thing. And we were able to find a, a distressed fund that has shares that needs to liquidate quickly, right? Mm. So they, you know, they the last round of funding at, at for this pre-IPO is at $14 a share. And we are, we are buying after that, we're getting the shares at eight bucks, right? And they're valued at 23. So imagine being able to, to acquire shares at an 80% discount before a company's going public in the next six months to a year. So 
that one, there's no liquidity until we have that liquidity event, right? So you, you're investing in this pre-IPO and your money's locked. There's no cash flow, nothing like that. But in a one, two, three-year time frame, that's going to sell at a three to five X. Yeah. Yeah. And again, what you're talking about there, again, using some of the vocabulary that may be heard on my channel is something potentially called a down round, right? You, you know, there's a lot of private companies today. We've heard from the all in podcast, obviously uh, talking about some down rounds. I think, um, I was going to say Airbnb. That's not right. It, um, Instacart. Instacart had a pretty big down route here in the last, I don't know, nine months or so. But that is obviously a risk that could that could happen. Um, but these these are this is this is exciting because I keep telling people in recessions or in bad times, great assets, good assets are sold by distressed sellers because at some point in time, cash is the answer. And if you're in this fund at fourteen but you need to raise because your other stuff's burning up. You'll take eight just to get the eight in cash because you have a bigger need for it. So that's just another example of somebody being prepared and they can say, yes, this is Warren Buffett getting, you know, Jape or getting Goldman Sachs to give him 10% plus warrants. He had the cash. Goldman couldn't go anywhere else. This is what happens when you have stacks of paper. You can sort of negotiate your own terms. Exactly. Yeah, so this is gonna be fun. What other stuff are you seeing out there in the world? I'm actually seeing uh, one of the things that I suspect is gonna happen. If you don't play here, it's fine, but I'm gonna ask anyway. Uh, I see a lot of distressed debt out there, especially in the commercial real estate market, right? That has to be trading at discounts already. There's gotta be some paper out there selling at 60, 50, 40 cents on the dollar. Somebody doesn't wanna go through foreclosure but wants to raise the capital. Are you looking at the debt markets at all? Or is that maybe a place you don't play? Um, it's not a place that, that we currently play. I mean, personally, I, as an individual investor outside of the hedge fund, I am pretty heavily invested in multifamily real estate. So I can tell you a little bit about what's going on in that market, the commercial office space. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm terrified of that space. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just too cyclical. It's so like, bad. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not looking good, right? And it, and it's also a threat to multifamily because sure. multifamily right now is trading at a twenty percent discount from from the top, right? Because mm -hmm. of rates and and um, I was just at the multifamily wealth conference here in Vegas uh, about a month ago, and and the consensus, some of the smartest minds in the space think we got another twenty percent downside before it's all said and done. So, yeah. um, but you know that doesn't mean that there aren't good opportunities, right? Like if if you can if the the way you want to invest in real estate right now is you have to do creative finance and you have to be assuming these loans, you know, if someone's got 3% in place and, and you can buy it at a 20% discount right now, I think that's a great move, right? Yeah. Um, am, am I investing in any real estate with rates at 7%? No, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's all nuanced. If you buy it right and on the right terms, I think it's still a good time to buy real estate. Um, there's a lot of inventory coming online because a lot of these um, syndicators, because margins are getting squeezed, they're all moving into development. So- oh. We're going to have a lot of units coming online uh, and then that commercial uh, office space could potentially be, you know, re rehabbed into multifamily because what are they going to do with it all? So I think there's a lot of threats in real estate and, um, mm -hmm. but it's still, it's still the, the, the safest, in my opinion, long-term place to store your capital. Yeah. One of the, one of the areas of multifamily that, that I think is actually a side risk. And I got this from one of my bankers, um, you know, every year, if you're in commercial, at least every year, sometimes every quarter, you've got to go show the statements, the P&L, all of that stuff. So we did the song and dance like we always do. And at the end of it, he said, hey, can you hang back? I said, sure. 
and he, he pointed at a manila folder on his desk and he said, I can't refi half those loans. And again, I want to be clear. Those loans were all performing. The bank needs cash. And I actually think one of the biggest problems is office is so bad that you're going to get so much extended for 10. They don't want to take the 60 to 70 percent haircut, but they got to raise cash somewhere. And I think multifamily could be that spot that says, sorry, guys. I got to clean up my loan book. I need some cash. Yeah. Here you go. I think that's, I think, again, I think multifamily is the cleanest shirt in a dirty pile. But unfortunately, this time, because you are the cleanest, you're going to get some, some operators who have to sell that didn't expect it. Yeah, it's already happening. There, there's oh. distress. There's distress in the space. I mean, the, you know, if you're if you're new in the space and, and you were buying at the top on a bridge loan or Ooh. adjustable rate, I mean, there there's a lot I, I'm hearing of people that are already yeah. getting liquidated um, that are losing 100% of their investment in some of these bad deals. So, I yeah. to your point, I think it's probably just getting started. Yeah, we're in the first inning, and and I want to go back to the deal that everybody in the space knows that 3,200 units in Houston. I'm sure it was the talk of the town when that you were at that conference. Uh, that that deal burned a hundred million dollars of LP money. I think the banks took like a fifteen or sixteen percent haircut on the debt. But there's a lot of LPs who've already lost their money and they don't know, right? From deals that were done in the last two years, bridge debt, bad assumptions, you know, inexperienced operators, and um, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to watch. I think. Yeah, I'm seeing it across my portfolio and some some investments, uh, mostly the A class space is getting hit the hardest. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, go ahead. Yeah, I mean just cash flows are getting compressed. Um I mean I I don't have any deals that have gone bad yet, but I am seeing cash flows get hurt. Um you know, I had one deal that they had to buy rate insurance and they did a refi and now we're stabilized again. Um but it's yeah, it's it's getting hairy out there. Yeah. I, I think there's a, you know, again, shout out to the uh, rest in peace, Sam Zell. Uh, one of the things I love about Sam Zell is he was just always direct, I think would be the best way to say it. He was interviewed about a month before his passing. Uh, and I think it was on Bloomberg. And the person interviewing him basically said, Sam, aren't you excited? This is what you went through basically in the SNL crisis. You were the original grave dancer. And Sam Zell looked over at him kind of slant eyed and said, basically said, you're an idiot. We are so early in this process. We're years away from me getting excited, but he, but he did think pain was coming, but, um, what do you think? I mean, there's, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be years in the making, I think. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know. Um, uh, one of the things that I thought was very interesting about trends, um, uh, this is like, it's going to be such a, a, a story of different markets, I think. Um, the, the demographic trend of migration is the stickiest, most predictive measure in real estate. It's like a 50 year cycle. When people start moving, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a very long process, according to this demographics expert that was at the conference. I thought it was extremely interesting. You know, I'm, I'm out here in Vegas. Um, I just moved here and it's one of the most overvalued markets in the country, but this trend of migration here is not going to end and there's only so much inventory. So it's this double-edged sword of, are we going to get this big pullback? And, and hopefully we do, cause I want to buy, I, you know, I was right. doing, the, you know, the cost to own versus the cost to rent is the most dislocated it's ever been 
in market history. So I wasn't going to buy a house. I, I'm renting this house and I'm waiting, you know, like for me to own a primary residence, I just, first of all, don't think it's necessary to own your primary. And, and if you are going to own it, it's got to be a good deal. And, and right now oh, buying sure. a house is just the value proposition isn't there. No, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, again, one of the things I think that Sam Zell taught us is patience, but then also taking action when the, when the, when, you know, the opportunities are there. Uh, I think there will be some time. Again, I think we're in the first inning. My current gut, and this could change at a moment's notice, kind of Q4, Q1, we start seeing more of really where the distress is. And certainly by a year from now, so next summer, um, I, I, you know, I would love to be putting some capital work and some bigger opportunities. That's, that's, that's what my current brain is. And I look every day. Uh, how does that feel to you? I mean, it just makes complete sense. Oops. There we are. Nope. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, no, it makes sense, right? When you look at long-term credit cycles, I mean, there's only, there's only one way for it to go. I mean, liquidity, the fed, I mean, everything, they're pulling money out of the, out of the markets, it, the rates are going up. They need to slow this thing down. It's like they tell you what they're going to do. <laughs> and for some reason, we all just think this bull's just going to go forever just because they're exactly. going to just because they lifted the debt ceiling, just because of, you know, you can you can find a reason to be hopeful. But the reality yeah. is that credits credit cycle is, is is ended and we're we're contracting. It's yeah. And to your point, when you look at the curve and you look at you know, modeling of 2000, 2008, like we are just on the beginning of this thing. And uh, I think any, any shot forward is just a bull market rally or bear market. Yeah, rally. Bear market rally. Yeah. It's going to be interesting folks. We're going to talk about accredited investors, their appetite. We're going to talk about risk in the next couple of episodes, but if somebody wanted to check out Kearns capital, where do we send them? So our website is Kearns.capital. There's no.com on the end of it. And you know, so Kearns.capital. Yeah. Uh, my personal website is toptierhuman.com. And um, we're all over social media, Instagram. You can find me there, Justin Freistadt and Kearns Capital. Awesome, buddy. Thank you so much.